From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 454. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN and Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Happy Easter. Um, yeah, sure. Hi. I went to a baseball chocolate game time. yesterday. Oh, was, that, was, oh, was there chocolate involved in the I baseball had some, game? I, I had some marshmallow peeps. No, there was no chocolate at the baseball game for me. Okay. But I did have some marshmallow peeps yesterday, so that was great. A tradition like none, like no other. I don't think I've ever had a peep. Have you had a marshmallow? Yep. It's like that. Okay. With with a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, sugar sprinkles on top. Mm. It's basically just, which is unnecessary, but that's what it is. That's all it is. Marshmallow peeps, they're marshmallows. I have a snow talk question for you to start off this week's episode. It comes is from it about Marley's. marshmallows? No, it's not. It's about no. audio logos. Marley's asks, okay. I personally really like the Apple TV Plus Thunk, but the THX and HBO ones are absolute classics. What's your favorite? By Thunk, does Marley's mean the C chord that's the startup sound for every Mac and then also is the startup sound for Apple TV Plus? Bong. I, I assume. Yep. Audio logos. THX is that kind of thing. And, and then uh, HBO, HBO is like... Is Oh. Yeah, exactly. I have two. I actually, what I found out was that what the things that I like the most are uh, sitcom tags from production companies. I enjoy mm. those. I thought of a couple of classics. Uh, the Simpsons always ends with uh, the Gracie films, which I think is is that is that James L. Brooks? It's the Gracie films thing so it's do 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 followed by the 20th century fox logo so i always think about that one the gracie one and um and uh sit ubu sit good dog which was the gary david goldberg uh title card for family ties begin back in the day uh, that was very memorable a dog mm. a dog actually his i think dead dog and he had a he had a picture oh, no. of his dead dog, and he, that was, he named Ubu Productions was named after his dog. Um, so those are those are classics, and there are some uh, modern ones that I suppose are like that too. And I'll throw in a, uh, a runner up for um, uh, back in the nineties, two thousands. The CNN's bumper was uh, James Earl Jones saying, "This is CNN," and there's nothing like Darth Vader to snap you out of it. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, Darth Vader, I get it. It's CNN, I get it. Those are classics. What about you? You have anything? I mean, the HBO one is is a classic to me, because like so many of my favorite shows then start, you know, like after that sound. So I think that that one is a classic of mine. I think. If you would like to send in a snow talk question of your own, just go to upgradefeedback.com and you can send it in, and we may help open a future episode of Upgrade. Got quite a bit of follow up today, Jason. Oh. A big chunk of it is in regards to CarPlay and General uh-huh. Motors. So you sure. wrote a blog post, as sometimes will happen when you you when we record an episode and you're like fired up about a topic. I talked about it a lot and realized I hadn't mm-hmm. written a word about it. And sometimes I had that moment where I think to myself, if I wasn't a podcast listener and only read Jason's writing, um, did I just skip over this entire topic by only talking about it on podcasts? Mm-hmm. And the answer sometimes is yes. And so I try to 
make sure that those kind of get in sync. So I did, I, I wrote what was going to be a brief link to that Verge story that basically says everybody's mad about General Motors saying they're going to drop CarPlay. And it uh, did not turn into a brief link. It, I, I was going to do the like, look, I'm tired. I'm not going to rant about it now. And then I proceeded to rant about it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I did that again. Uh, so we've got a lot of thoughts out there, but we also had some stuff coming in from listeners. So Matt wrote in and says, I have a Polestar 2, which features Android Automotive. They added CarPlay last summer. I prefer the built-in Google Maps because it's more EV-friendly, but use CarPlay for everything else. There are so few apps for automotive, Chrome isn't even available. And I found that interesting. Polestar seemed to be doing it right. <laughs> they got all of it, a little bit of all of it in Polestar. Yeah, I got uh, a nice listener letter from uh, Don who said something very similar, which is Android Automotive operating system has deep integration with car systems. It's much more than just nav and entertainment. It's got the climate control and other car stuff. It's that low-level stuff. Um, it, we receive regular over-the-air system updates, and it brings more stability. Navigation is excellent. And I'm sitting reading this thinking, okay, this person really loves their Android Automotive. Uh, but Don says uh, the kicker is CarPlay is always available as an app. Uh, and frankly, it's a more robust implementation of CarPlay than in our Chevy Bolt. So the point here is Google certainly has an API for CarPlay to be part of Android Auto, Automotive. Uh, the decision to not include it is GMs. And I, I think that's uh, that that's great at getting at the point here, which is there's nothing that precludes GM from also offering people who have an iPhone the opportunity to look at some of their stuff through CarPlay while offering a full-featured Android automotive experience. They just don't want to. So I thought that was a great uh, a bit of feedback from our, our listeners who have the Android automotive experience with CarPlay, right? Yeah. And it's competition, right? That, that way, uh, if... GM is really lagging. It's good for the user if you're like, well, I got a brand new iPhone with brand new software and it's got this great feature and it's better than what's on my car, so I'm going to use that. Uh, and GM doesn't want to do that, right? Like they don't want to risk that there's going to be things outside of their control, uh, which is is infuriating. Uh, a friend of the show, Sam Elsamid, wrote in with a bunch of information about, well, kind of follow up on what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, who is a um, I would say Auto an expert industry an analyst yes. yeah, on, on cars and technology and how these two things right. kind of intersect. And he was on the verticals last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he says, in contrast, so like, you know, we were to, I mentioned there was an article that I found which had a list of car makers that were going to be integrating with the new CarPlay. Sam says that no automaker themselves has, has publicly committed to using the new CarPlay. That list came from Apple. So I don't know, like, you know, I feel like in the way that Sam was writing in was like, this is wrong. And it's like, well, it's only, I feel like it's only half wrong, right? Like Apple's saying it. So it's not like it's not being said, but just the car companies aren't committing to it. But Apple was saying that there's a list of like 14 or 17 companies that will have the new CarPlay. So unless they know, unless they think they know something that's not going to happen, I don't know what, what's going to happen there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the point is, that was an announcement made last June. Have the car makers changed their minds? We wouldn't know. I imagined at the time that what that was is, we're going to tell you that these car makers support us, but we're going to let them announce their new cars that support this feature. Yeah. And as Sam points out, that hasn't happened. So you, you're ending up in this limbo state, which is sort of like, are they going to still or not? And we don't know. So 
That's all. That's all we can tell. Maybe there'll be an announcement at WWDC yeah. about it. Who knows? Yeah, because like the other part of it is just maybe yeah, Apple hasn't year. wanted anyone to talk about it yet because they want to show it off properly when they're ready too. So who knows? Maybe so. Uh, Sam also says the system in these vehicles, so the GM vehicles, is Android, and therefore the Play Store is present, which means any Android developer can submit apps that fall into the vehicle appropriate categories, like media streaming and messaging, and they can appear in the Play Store on GM EVs. So right. you know, like CarPlay, in a way, you can have an application that can be kind of rubber stamped to be used in that environment and android all does the same you have to specifically like with carplay you have to specifically have it be flagged as being approved for automotive use and i don't know if it's a rubber stamp or if there's actually some more attention paid to because there's some liability i think if like if if something that just plays video <laughs> like it's not legal so i i think that they're is some stuff that they have to probably check before they allow it. I don't know the details. I don't know if they're just doing an automated scan or if somebody has to actually approve those or what. And and this is good to know. I I will point out, though, that first off, it does actually have to be properly tagged as being something for automotive use. So even if the app you use has an on your iPhone has an Android equivalent, is it in Android Automotive? And then secondly, is the experience of using that app comparable to using it in CarPlay or is it not? It's sort of an up in the air thing. And then I would I would anticipate, and this is just me inventing something, uh, but based on observations, I would also anticipate, I wonder if GM will exert a level of authority over what is available to be installed on their cars, right? Because that's the other, the way they're acting with something like saying, oh, no CarPlay, we're not going to allow that. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything to stop them from saying we're only going to let certain apps be installed uh, on our on our cars right from the from the Play Store. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're able to to control the Play Store experience. Right. I don't think phones can do this unless it just does, like there's something about the phone that doesn't support it. Yeah, but it, uh, but it's the cars. Right. Like, I just don't I just don't know if they black can blacklist apps on hmm. on android automotive i don't know so on that android developer site i found your app is reviewed for compliance with driver distraction guidelines and the technical and quality criteria described in these sections so it's got a bunch of lists uh, the detailed yeah. review process might take more time than you're accustomed to when submitting phone and tablet apps until your app or update is approved it's not published so unlike you know as just to confirm what we thought Kind of like CarPlay and unlike regular app review on Android, if you want to be able to use the requirements and you want to use the entitlements that are available and the features that are available to have your app in the car, it does go through an additional approval process to make sure that it's, as you say, not like, hey, here's a video uh, app to watch videos when you're driving. Right? It's like, well, that's While you're driving. It's <laughs> not exactly. going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the fact that, I, and I, I'm really um, grateful to Sam for sending in this feedback, the fact that in theory, Android apps that have essentially would display like Android Auto apps, but they're running on the Android Automotive platform and in the Play Store and all that. That's great. It depends on GM's implementation. And then it doesn't actually change my argument in a lot of ways, because while you might rely on an app that has an Android equivalent that is flagged properly and allowed on GM's hardware, and therefore you can put it on the GM hardware platform. Like that's a lot of steps, but it's going to happen for a lot of stuff. And that's great. Um, but my larger point was 
also, like I, I certainly use at least with Overcast, the podcast player, one app that will never be on Android. And so it for me, CarPlay means I can have my podcast app on my car. And mm-hmm. this decision means I can't. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the car maker saying you need to change everything about how you live your life, <laughs> right? In order to be compatible with our car. Um and like that's a power move, and and I'm I'm completely open to the idea that while Apple talks about seventy nine percent of people saying CarPlay has to be on their new car that they buy of of new car buyers, I'm I'm also open to the idea that that General Motors looks at that and goes, that's ah, soft. It's soft. Mm-hmm. In the end, if they want to buy our car, they're not going to care. We're going to show that we have an equivalent infotainment system. It'll be good enough. But will it be good enough? I don't know. That's that. Like I look at this and I think. As we saw from our previous comment commenters about people who have Android automotive cars, like they could also just say, "Look, if you want to use Overcast, sure, use CarPlay for that." And they're like, "No, no, we don't want anything on our system from your iPhone." And that that's the part that uh, infuriates me. So we'll see how it plays out, right? Like either it'll matter or it won't. Like right in the end, either people will be like, "I I don't like this. I'm gonna." I'm going to avoid GM cars because of this. And the GM sales are going to be a problem. And their salespeople are going to be like, this lack of CarPlay is killing us. Or it won't matter. (laughs) Right? And and those of us who do care will just have to try and avoid the cars that don't have CarPlay, which is what's happening now. Right? I heard from Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are like, I'm never going back (laughs) to a car without CarPlay. (laughs) It's like, I get it. And that, that's, uh, that's potentially a problem for GM. If it turns out that people are at the end of this, my, my, I, I didn't write this. I haven't said this anywhere, but I think in the end, what my point really is, if I want to boil it down is what are people more loyal to the software running in their car or the iPhone in their pocket? Like, what are they more loyal to? And I think the only person who believes they're more loyal to the software in their car is the car maker. I don't even know if it's the software part either as well, right? Like, I think that people like car brands, but I think for the average consumer, is there that much differentiation between car A and car B? Like, if you want to get like a hatchback or whatever, I think unless you're really into cars, is that you just drive a bunch to just find one that you like. Like, I I don't know... I mean, I'm not a car person, but like I don't know if the typical car buyer has an affinity towards a brand, like a strong one. Do you do you think that's the case? I think it varies. Yeah. I think it varies. I think most people know, right? Yeah. Because I feel like that's where you're going to end up in a problem, right? Uh, I wanted to give a, a, a kind of a clarification of terms, which I found helpful. So about Android Automotive. So Android Auto is CarPlay. So it is a platform that runs on your phone and extends to the car, right? Exactly. Android Automotive is effectively Android, the open source project. So like what Android, the open source project is to phones, Automotive is to cars. Like it is a yeah, operating system. The car is the phone. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's running on the car. Yeah. Not projected into the car. It's Android running on the car. But like Android is for a phone, you can use Android Automotive and have no Google stuff on it. No Play Store or anything. That is Google Automotive Services, which is a different layer on top, which is like Google Play Services for a phone. So... Right. And, th- and that's, and it allows the automakers to 
use the basis of Android Automotive and tie it into their systems and all that. This was the question about like next-gen CarPlay is what's Apple doing with next-gen CarPlay? Is that a version of iOS uh, that's running on the car all the time? Yeah. And, and, and when I talked to Sam last summer about it, he said, I, I can't see it. He's like, I, I, I really can't see that because what you have to do is build a car real-time operating system. And are, are, is Apple really going to do that? But um, that's what Android Automotive is, right? A- a- Android uh, has been set up and Google has set it up to say, yeah, we want to be the basis for your, mm-hmm. for your car OS, which is fine, right? Like, that's cool because if you're GM or, any, or Polestar or whoever, you're like, well, this is good. We don't have to build our own operating system and we get some, an app platform with it. And that's nice. And then we can put CarPlay and Android Auto on top of it. So we've got a, our fundamental like in the car stuff and then the things people can project from their phones that they carry around with them. You know, it's just the GM chose to not make that last step and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to close that door. And what you know, what I've realized in all their statements is they they keep it's such deflection. I mean, in my piece on six colors, I basically said they're lying. Right. It's spin. It's lies. Uh, what they what they keep saying is, well, we, we we have to do it because of this and this, but they don't have to do it. They, they, they're using those as excuses. They've chosen a platform that fundamentally can allow projection as well as allowing everything that they want. They just don't want projection because they're, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of losing control of their platform and letting people make choices that aren't the choices that GM wants to make. And I, I would argue that the navigation part of it that GM is so hot on, like, well, we're going to have self-driving cars or driver assist, and we need to know where you're going, so you need to use our navigation. It's like, well, that's the carrot, right? That's the reason that you you are going to motivate people to use the in-car navigation system, is that if you want to use all the advanced features of the car, you got to use the in-car navigation system. That's fine, but the way they're acting is more that they're just fearful. Like, and it leads me to think that the truth is not about that at all. The truth of it is they want to limit what's on the car so that you have to use the services that they approve and probably have to pay them or the services have to pay them for access to GM cars. I think that's really what's going on here mm-hmm. in the end, is that is it? it's not this sham about uh, navigation. The truth is, it's about like what other things are on your phone. And the answer is, well, it's like music and podcasts. And, 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 and they're like, well, yeah, they don't want that. They, they want you to pay for their connectivity and pay for... You know, maybe they only have Spotify on there and they've cut a deal with Spotify or they dream of cutting a deal with Spotify to <laughs> allow Spotify to be pre-installed yeah. on their cars and they get a cut for that. Like, And I think that, that that's their big strategy is we're going to use the exclusivity of our platform as a lever to, ju- to, to pull money out of our, our customers after they buy the car, either directly or indirectly. I think that's what's going on despite everything they say, because everything they say makes no sense. Like none of GM's justifications for this move hold water. They are all, I mean, that's why I say they're lies. They're lying. They are lying because having Apple Maps on your phone doesn't preclude their navigation system from being required for using their features. It doesn't, but they say it does. Why is that? It's because they're lying because they have a a grander strategy at work, which involves taking complete control over the software platform of their cars and not letting anyone else on board. Good luck. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
Using a streaming service like Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like buying tickets to your favorite artist but only being allowed to watch the opening act. The opening act might be great, but you, there's more available to you. If you didn't know this, some streaming services, they have different content libraries available for different countries. So there are tons of shows available in other countries that you're not seeing. Like, for example, in Net on Netflix in the UK, there is all of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Or on Canadian Netflix, you can watch Back to the Future. And with a VPN like ExpressVPN, you can access those other libraries. It basically tweaks where Netflix or other services think that you are right now. So with just one click by opening the app and choosing the country that you want to watch, that you want to choose from, you can trick services like Netflix to thinking that you're there. You just refresh and it's good to go. Now, one of the things that I do more often here is the reverse. So if I was, for example, yeah. catching up on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in the U on in on Netflix here in the UK where I live and I went to California and I wanted to continue watching my show, I open up Netflix. I open up ExpressVPN. I say, hey, you know, I'm in the UK, so I just can, can route my traffic through the UK, refresh Netflix, and I can just pick up where I left off. Super helpful, super useful. It's something you can access wherever you are. There are so many reasons to choose ExpressVPN. It has super fast speeds. You can stream in HD with no buffering. It's compatible with all of your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. And they have servers in 94 different countries. So you can gain access to thousands of new shows. And it works with other streaming services like iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. So stop paying for full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of the content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash upgrade. That is expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Use that link to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. A thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and Relay FM. So should we do some follow-up now? <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean continuing the follow-up continue i feel like that was its own topic that became topic number one and now we're going to follow up so okay. stefan wrote in to say regarding a revamped watch user interface jason mentioned at the end of your discussion that a new watch ui uh, something that he would like to see is a currently running timer interface if you, you know, set a 15 minute timer or whatever to actually see it running all the time this sounds a lot like the use of the dynamic island Maybe a revamped watch UI could center around dynamic island concepts for the watch face. Curious to hear if that gives you any additional thoughts. Hmm. It's live activities, right? Can they can they yeah, I mean, do something? Live activities watch face? Yeah. Maybe. Mm. Kind of like the Siri watch face. I always feel like that was something that Apple didn't fully express. Right. Which was a frustration for me. I was actually a fan of the Siri watch face. What I liked about the Siri watch face was it made the Apple Watch feel like a computer, like it is. Because it felt like it was surfacing things for me which were relevant at a certain time, right? So like if, it, if I had an appointment coming up, it would show me that. And so like, you know, complications are great and all, but they're very static in a way. Like, this is said this I think we were talking about this like more you know kind of more dynamic complications like for example I don't I have like the fantastic how complication on my watch and I, but I only really need it a few hours of the day like when I've got appointments going exactly on. like in the evening like when it's you know I'm not going to have anything for another say 12 hours or whatever I don't need that 
there anymore, that complication. It's still like so much of watchOS feels like it's stuck in this idea of like being a watch. The lack of dynamism in the individual. So like, yeah, you can create a a complication that's got, that's dynamic. But the complication slot itself isn't dynamic. The complication slot is whatever is in it. And we've seen like, you know, Widget Smith exper- or WatchSmith experiments with this, the idea that the data that goes in your complications changes depending on context. Um, you can do shortcuts that do things like change your which face is open at a particular time. That's clever. But what would really be clever is Apple thinking about this from the top down and saying, how do we solve this problem on a level that isn't sort of like a hack, but like is 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 built into the 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 watch? Because what I so and what I mean by that is imagine something like WatchSmith, which for people mm-hmm. who haven't used it has a little clock, and you basically can draw out different segments of the clock and say show this data here and show this data here. And it's very clever because it means like during the workday, it shows this kind of data in its complication slot. And the rest of the time, it shows this other kind of compli- or data in the complication slot. Okay, great. But compare, so if you're Apple, you're like, do we really want people to do that? To have a, like this clock, you know, we appreciate, I'm sure this theoretical Apple person, what David Smith has done with with WatchSmith, but is that the UI we want to give people? Or we're Apple. We can do better than that. We're going to do, we're going to Siri reconceive intelligence. it. And that's, and that's, and that's, well, so what I was thinking is, we're talking about the the live activities in the dynamic island and things like that. Like I could see Apple saying, what we're going to do is we're going to create uh, a dynamic complication that uh, has a base complication mode that you select, but that in certain contexts, it's replaced by the dynamic complication. Uh, And if there's a series of them, you can swipe between them. And like, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but you could see Apple doing something like that, which is, oh, no, 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 we're not going to have you say from nine to five, show this, and then otherwise show that. That's not what we're going to do. Instead, we're going to create a developer API and we're going to build a new class of complication and it's going to have a base state. And then the developers will be able to insert theirs contextually based on certain data that'll be from their apps pushed into the same complication spot on this one watch face that we're enabling it for, right? That sounds much more like how Apple approaches this. I'm not saying it's the right decision. I'm saying that that sounds like something Apple might do. And they've already got the live activity concept uh, and the dynamic island concept. So taking that dynamism and existing APIs basically and saying, okay, here's here's a dynamic complication spot um, which is not necessarily what I want, which is, can I just, you know, but but it might have the same effect, which is I leave that dynamic complication spot open. And when I am running a timer, the timer shows up in it, right? Like, okay, that is actually kind of, you're giving me what I want, but not exactly the way that I wanted it. I told you I wanted it. And you know, that's not, that's not wrong. That's right. Like you, you can tell a, tell an artist, draw you know, I want uh, this person to be blue and this person to be green and have an angry expression. Like, or you say, just draw me the picture and here's what the picture is. Mm. And it, micromanaging them, you're destroying like the thing that makes them the artist and you not the artist. And this in, in user interface, this is a similar kind of thing where it's like, I I just want to be able to have this timer go in this slot sometimes. And Apple's like, yeah. Mm. But what you really want is and the sort of step back and then build the whole API around it. So I, I think it's an interesting idea. 
So you uh, have also experienced Friday Night Baseball. So we were talking on a previous episode that yes. uh, the radio, the local radio broadcast can now be piped into Friday Night Baseball. And right. the season has begun. The balls have been rolled out from the gates balls and we're off to go, out. off with the races. They open the gates. Uh, how was your experience with this? I assume you, did you do this as a test or is this what you want from Friday Night Baseball to listen to the local announcers? I I mean, if it's my local team, I probably would. So there's the two biggest complaints about Friday Night Baseball. One is you got to be now an Apple TV. It used to be you had to use Apple TV to watch the games. And this year it's turned into you have to pay for Apple TV Plus to watch the games, right? The number two complaint, though, is who are these announcers, right? Because so many fans are fans of a local team. They are living with their local announcers day in, day out. For the whole summer, um, 162 games of baseball. It's a lot of baseball. You're used to those people. And then you get a national broadcast, and they're not your announcers. There are other announcers who cover lots of different teams and move from place to place. And I hear from a lot of people who are like, oh, those announcers are so bad. It's like, you know, are they? Are they especially bad? I think they aren't, personally. I think it's that you don't you expect your local announcers bottom line it's not like yes they're they're not necessarily great but i think the state of national baseball announcing is not particularly great in general so anyway leaving that aside now you have this feature where you can um switch over just as you could already on mlb uh tv their tv package the mlb app let you switch to other audio and you could you could watch you actually watch your home team's tv and then switch it to your home team's radio for the audio which is kind of funny but here with Apple, what they're doing is exactly what they're doing with MLS, actually, which is they're letting you overlay the national broadcasters with your local radio. So uh, on Friday, it was the first Friday Night Baseball, and I tried it out. There was a Cubs-Rangers game. The Rangers, strangely, are the one team that does not offer road radio. I don't know why, but the Cubs radio was available, and I was able to flip over. And then in the second game, it was Atlanta and uh, the Padres. And you could choose from the Atlanta or San Diego radio broadcast. They're synced perfectly. I think what's going on is that Apple is actually taking a feed of just the announcers and then underlaying their um, their stadium audio so that the crack of the bat is actually coming from their stadium audio and sounds uh, and is perfectly aligned with uh, the video. But um, it, it may be that it may not. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But whatever it is, it's not out of sync or weird and they fade it out at the end of the inning before they go to the commercial break on the radio they fade it out so you you know if the tv stays a little longer you got the stadium noise in the background sort of like with silence and then it goes to their local or it goes to their tv ads um and then it comes back the same thing if it needs to fade it in it's really 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 well done so if people were wondering uh, it means that if you want to experience your local broadcasters for on a Friday night baseball game, you will still get the very good looking picture that Apple is providing and you can have your local audio and it sounds good. So I'm intrigued about this from a technical perspective. Like you said, mm-hmm. there's no delay. No delay. So how are they managing that? Right. Well, I so my theory, and I, I would love. I, I should probably ask somebody at Apple. Maybe they can actually. Walk or if me someone that knows, be, that, that would be fun. Please, yeah, write to us and let us know. Yeah, but like, but how I've got are a they PR managing contact that? for this? Um, my guess is that they are taking the audio out of the radio booth at the stadium. That they're, they're that there there is a feed that's coming out of the stadium of the audio for the home and, and away radio. 
and that they are taking that into their, consuming that and putting it into their TV truck. Um, so it's as if they've got three different sets of announcers. That's my guess. So I guess, so I, my, my question is then, because I, again, I don't know enough about this. These announcers, they're at the stadium, right? Yeah. Okay, so they're just you rec- okay. See, for, I don't know why. For some reason, I was imagining they might not be there. I don't know why I would have thought that. Well, this is well. This is the funny thing, though. The, um, they're not always all there. Oh. Um, and the angels, I think, are not even sending their their announcers around. They're they're doing it all. Remotely I see. That's what road. I don't understand. Then, like, if they're not there, because if they're there, it's like, oh, it's just like having any announcers. So the other option here is that MLB. Uh, so MLB TV, like I said, also does this. So the other possibility is that there is a uh, there is a place somewhere where they are taking the feed from Apple and they're taking the feed from the TV or from the radio stuff that's coming in and they're mixing it somewhere and that and then that is what's going out that they're, they're almost like overlaying the other two audio streams and then sending it on to the CDN and then they in that case they're using Major League Baseball's. Uh, infrastructure that they've already built up for MLB TV, and they're essentially just sort of like making it, you know, having it be Apple, and then the other two, and then it's going out. And maybe that's what this is, is maybe they're really using the existing MLB TV infrastructure for this. Um, what what, What impresses me is that it is synced, right? Because uh, it means that if there's any delay, like they either have to delay, like if, if one of them's ahead, they have to delay it and then get them to match. And that takes some calibration, which, you know, it's their job, and they do that before the game. Uh, but whatever they're doing, it's solid. Like, it's not a second ahead or a second behind or something like that, which often happens if you're, like, tuning it in on the radio <laughs> and setting your radio on your coffee table while you turn the volume down on the TV. Sync is all out of whack for that. But it's not out of whack on Friday Night Baseball. So I... I, I I don't know what they're doing there, but given the Angels broadcasters, actually, it may very well be that they're just r- running it through Major League Baseball's own platform for this and then out to Apple instead of out to their app. Ridley Scott's Napoleon movie, which is a movie I didn't know. Was, <laughs> you know I keep getting surprised at Apple, the breadth of Apple's content right now. They have a show that I want to watch. It's called Monster Factory. And it's about um, a group of aspiring professional wrestlers. Like it's an actual documentary series, uh, which speaks to me. And they've got a movie about uh, Michael J. Fox's life called Still, which is coming soon, which looks awesome. Like I saw a trailer for that. The funny thing is I am finding out about these shows from my YouTube recommendations. I keep getting recommended trailers Wow. For Apple shows. That's how I'm finding out about new content on Apple TV+. Plus. But this is a movie uh, about Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, it's going to be on Apple TV+. Plus, but first, it will be shown in theaters. For this mm. movie, Apple yes. has chosen to work with Sony Pictures Entertainment to handle the distribution. And it's going to be the first movie that is distributed under this new plan that Apple has that we were talking about recently to put movies in theaters. This is the first one that they've confirmed, at least, will be put in theaters with the help of a third-party production company. Right. This is, in the long run, Apple is planning on having uh, 
uh, all most of their originals uh, have a theatrical release or at least some of them mm-hmm. and so here here is one and and it's a com- the first ones we see a lot of those are going to be that they may they agreed for theatrical to close the deal mm-hmm. martin scorsese is the is the best example of that where like they needed to guarantee him a theatrical release or he wasn't going to make the deal yeah and so they did that. But in the long run, they're going to do this as policy because of what we said before. The shorthand version is marketing something uh, in theatrical benefits in terms of people being aware of it. That's good for when it comes on Apple TV Plus. And they can make some money from theatrical. So that's good, too. So there's lots of reasons that um, streamers that aren't Netflix are trying this. And a bit of information for you, Jason. Apple will be announcing its Q2 2023 earnings on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, Mike. They're going to feel the force, and they're going to announce their earnings. They're going to feel the 4th. So everybody will be there. They'll be wearing costumes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Tim Cook's going to have the Han Solo outfit on, I think. A little vest. A little nice. vest. And uh, in the annual question, or the quarterly question, uh, did Jason? how did Jason learn uh, when the earnings call was going to be? My, my very professional planning system, where I place a calendar event Early in the month, saying check for when the Apple financials are uh, succeeded. It was last week. It was last Thursday. I had the item on my calendar uh, called check for Apple financials. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to investor.apple.com and found the date. So I, I, I win this one. Excellent. Well, I'm happy that you already knew. Anyway, look forward. Everybody out there, just an alert for Upgradians that on May uh, the 8th, Whew. Money time. That's going to be good stuff. It's going to be chart palooza. Did they hype this one up at all, or were they still like trying to be like, "Oh, it's going to be bad"? No, this is going to be this is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to have okay. weak max sales, and it's going to be it's not going to be great. This is okay. this is the at least the the thought is this is going to be another rough one, and that okay. they said it's going to be another rough one. Um, they said when they that did their last okay. one. So. Yeah, right. yeah. Although, again, rough for Apple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's still a good, huge one of those good, good that, bad but. problems uh, for them. Typically, it's good bad. It's a, it's not a result you kind of like, but it's good bad. It's not bad bad. It's good bad. Yeah, I like it. We should do that from now on. We should rate every quarter at Apple mm-hmm. on based on Flophouse recommendation levels. So, is, okay. was it was it was it a good quarter, a bad quarter, or a quarter you kind of liked? <laughs> Well, we could try and judge that based on uh, Tim and Luca's comments. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens, the world's number one pizza oven company. Uni makes surprisingly small ovens that are powered by your choice of fuel, wood, charcoal, or gas. They even have some models like the Unikaru, which can use wood, charcoal, or gas. And let me also say, by the way, they have a new electric pizza oven at Uni. It's called the Vault. This thing looks amazing, and it is can be used indoor and outdoor. This thing is super cool. I've had my, I got my eye on one. Although I think I want to get uh, a new one for our outdoors. But the Uni Vault looks super cool. It's an electric pizza oven. It gets super hot, which is like their whole thing. Uni have worked really hard in finding a way to get an electric oven to reach 850 degrees Fahrenheit. So they, you can really get that like fresh stone-baked pizza in 90 seconds. So they're able to do something to emulate what they can do with their outdoor ovens, with their gas ones, their wood-fired ones, and their 
Uh, charcoal-fired ones with an electric oven, too. Very cool stuff. Uni Pizza ovens, their ovens, will reach 900 degrees Fahrenheit, which enables you to cook that restaurant-quality pizza in as quick as a minute. Uni Pizza ovens are incredibly easy to use. The high temperature that they have separates them from those that you'll see in a home oven. One of the most popular models is the Unicoda 16. This is the one that uh, me and Jason have had. The, uh, this will do 16-inch pizzas. It has an innovative L-shaped burner at the back that gives you even mm. heat distribution and Every pizza that comes out of an uni is fantastic. Yum, Their yum. ovens start at just two ninety nine, with free shipping to the US, the UK, and the EU. With two of the coolest models being the Uni Karu, which I already mentioned, hottest. is the multi, a uh, hottest, hottest Mike, the hottest. hottest, hottest models. Well, they say coolest, but I guess I should say hottest. The hottest ones is the Uni Karu, the multi fueled one, the Uni Coda sixteen we have they also have an awesome app to help you perfect your dough recipe and they also have tons of accessories from peels to cutters to, to thermometers to oven tables and so much more listeners of this show can get 10 percent off their purchase of an uni pizza oven which is up to 50 dollars off the uni coda 16 just go to uni.com and use the code upgrade 2023 at checkout that's Upgrade 2023 at checkout at ooni.com and you'll be able to get that 10% discount. Uni Pizza Ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. So that is uni.com and the code UPGRADE2023 for 10% off. A thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. Time for a rumor roundup. Saddle up. Saddle up, everyone. Uh, Ross Young has got uh, he published like a roadmap for the next few years of things that he's expecting Apple to be doing in the display technology of their phones. So the iPhone and iPhone Pro line. So we've got a few little. There's lots of pieces of information, but there were a couple of things here that I thought were particularly interesting. So Young is predicting that the iPhone 17 Pro, that is the 2025 iPhone. I will tell you today, okay. I sat and counted on my fingers for about five minutes to try and work out what year the iPhone 17 would come out in. It took me quite a while. So if that's wrong, you know, there you go. The iPhone 17 Pro 2025 will be the first iPhone to get an under-display Face ID sensor. Okay. There would still be a circle cut out for the front-facing camera at this point. So it would just be removing the pill shape, moving those to under the screen. This would be the new kind of design language until the iPhone 19 in 2027, <laughs> where uh -huh. this is all removed for an all-screen design with both the camera and the Face ID sensors sitting beneath the all-screen design. Okay. Great. Wake me up in 2027. Yeah, I, guess. I don't want uh, every phone until then. I don't even want them. You know what I mean? It's garbage. They're all garbage. Holes in the phone? No, thank you. Uh, Young also says that he expects that ProMotion will remain a pro only feature until the iPhone 17 in 2025 and is unsure, it seems at this moment, as to whether Always On will be a feature of this phone or if that says a pro feature. <sighs> So it would be getting an LTPO display at this point. And I thought okay. it was super interesting how these features lined up so that like once the Pro phone in 2025 takes a step, they will allow the regular iPhone to take a step. Like it's not going to get ProMotion until the Pro phone has something else it can offer on this in the screen display kind of area. You know what I mean? So it was really mm -hmm. interesting. It's like we're going to wait and we'll make those jumps at the same time. Fascinating. I love, I love this. 
I guess we should check back in. Our our successors can check back in in twenty late twenty twenty seven. You think we're not going to be doing this in twenty twenty seven? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to make any uh, assumptions about twenty twenty seven. That's far away. So, but yeah, sure. We'll we'll check back in then. What ep- what episode of upgrade? We need a little calculating Oof. app. That's like what episode of upgrade will be. That's a long way off. So it's we so got, I got to add twenty twenty seven is four years from now, right? Four and a half years from now, right? Four and a half years. Are you are you calculating this? I am. Okay, I'm excited to know. Let me make a guess. So this is four fifty four. I'm going to okay. say like episode one thousand nine hundred and twelve. I feel like I've way uh, overshot that. I've way overshot that. Six <laughs> six eighty eight. Can you see why I had to do the counting on my fingers yeah. today? No good. Yeah. No 688. good. Six eighty eight. All right, six. That's not mm. too many. That feels like nothing. We'll still be doing this by then. Okay. Through reporting with various leakers and sources, 9to5Mac have put together some very pretty images of what they expect the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro to look like. So these are some computer-assisted... Is it computer-assisted or aided, CAD? Is it aided? Computer-aided design. I don't, they made some models, basically, some digital yeah. models. This features some imagery of the curved titanium frame coming to the Pro phones, the thinner bezels. But one additional detail that I'd not seen yet uh, was the color for the new Pro iPhone, 9to5Mac is saying it will be a deep red, which is almost like a wine color. Mm-hmm. I don't like this of course color. It's deep. I don't of course like it's this deep. color at all, personally. Not exciting, obviously, because it's the Pro phone color. Um, so, But that's a piece of information for you. Does mm. a red, deep red iPhone excite you, Jason? Take off that red phone. It's better. Uh, it's better. Well, no, I can't because I couldn't take it to a football game, uh, or I'd have to leave it in my pocket. But it, I'm glad that it's a color, like that's good. But again, it's it it feels like it's a you know boring color. I I wonder how these phones will be received because changing the the frame to be titanium and bringing the bezels in a little bit, like it's super subtle, right? Like, would you look at one of these phones? And say, whoa, it's the new iPhone? Because I wouldn't. It feels very much like a continuation of the existing design language. Yeah, it is very much so. Uh, the, I think, as you say, these changes will be minimal because, yes, they're curving the edges, but realistically, they photograph the same, you know? I think that Apple will be pushing this phone on whatever is going on in the Pro Max this year. So like the the new camera layout and mm. what that will enable. I think this will be another year where they can maybe try and get away with what's on the inside than rather than what's on the outside. But this is definitely not looking at these images anyway. This is not going to be a year where it's like, oh, wow, look at the new design. No, this very much is in the iPhone 12 kind of uh, design language. It's not changing. Mm-hmm. I am personally happy about that because I like the iPhone 12 design language a lot. I think it's aged way better than the sixes did. I like it, but again, I, I you know, as I've said a million times before, I don't like how understated the Pro phones are, and I wish the Pro phones would have, you know, by having the kind of frosted glass back with the bright uh, camera bump, that they end up being kind of subdued in a way that i wish they didn't have to be um however i will say uh titanium instead of stainless so the presumably they'll be lighter that's good that's a very good because while stainless steel is a nice material 
it was adding weight to those phones that is yeah. not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just I not agree. necessary. And I understand them wanting to create a premium kind of feel and all that, but like, mm, it was not, um, it, you don't want those phones to, to be heavier than they need to be. And they didn't need to be that heavy. Mark Gurman is reporting, he, he put a big piece together on Bloomberg um, with some more details about Apple's plans to make stronger uh, moves for their manufacturing over to places outside of China, namely mostly India. Um, I have a few quotes from this article to read, Jason, if that's okay. Okay, sure. Its most ambitious plans are for India, where it will work with a swath of partners to make iPhones, AirPods, and Apple Pencils, as well as components for the Apple Watch, iPad, and Mac. Apple has already tapped three of its main assembly partners from Taiwan to build devices in India, Foxconn, Pegatron, and Wistron. Why are they all on? Why do they all end in on? Uh, that uh, Mark Tron, didn't say that. That was, me. that was Tron. It's also recently brought on an additional key supplier in India, Tata, to build iPhone exteriors and ultimately assemble the whole product. Apple produced more than 6.5 million of the 200 million iPhones it made in 2022 in India. It aims to produce 10 million units in 2023. People involved in the process believe that this number could exceed 15 million units next year. Some think it could move as much as 25% of iPhone production to India by 2025 if it sticks to the most aggressive timeline. The company has discussed moving the majority of aluminium iPhone production out of China. It expects to ship the iPhone 15 from both countries simultaneously, which would be a first. So I want to stop with that part because there's some interesting detail here, right? So at the moment, the only phones they are making in India are the aluminium frame phones. They're not making the pro phones there. Right. And Mark's piece actually said that even as they continue to go down this, and even for you know this 2023, 2024, they're still going to continue making the pro phones in China. And the plus phone as well is still going to be made there. We're looking at like the SE and the standard iPhone is going right. to be made in India. But they are looking at I find that super interesting that now they're aiming for the majority of aluminium iPhone production to be outside of China. Yeah, it's it's a uh, creeping in that direction. I think it was it, Mark German is you know reporting on all of this as a way, I, I, and I appreciate it. This is a very different kind of story from you know a product based mm -hmm. report from Mark, and you know the, it, it highlights all the reasons that it's hard for Apple to move production and that, but, and that they're taking these steps, right. To diversify their, uh, their production locations and, and the pandemic, di uh, closures of various factories in China, I think, you know, gave Apple a thing to point to and say, see, we need to have, um, we need to have factories all over the world so that we aren't just in China. But also, I think this gives you an idea of just how extended this process is, where they're like, we're hoping that, you know, if we push this really hard, we might have 25% of our iPhones produced in India in a few years. And that's like the most aggressive version. But keeping in mind that a lot of stuff is still coming from China and a lot of stuff still being made and assembled in China. And and uh, it's, you know... It's a long, ongoing process, and the it's not like, yeah, Apple's moving out of China, and then it won't be a problem. That's not what's happening here. They also mention, um, well, saying about, there's also uh, David in, in Discord is talking about Taiwan as another issue, and Mark talks about that, but it wasn't 
particularly interesting or new for the story where he's talking about, you know, like Apple looking at making uh, some chips in is it in Arizona is where the TSMC plant's going to be. Yep. But we know this from talking before of like, realistically, they're not making much of anything that seems to be exciting from that plant for many years. But like, yes, it's diversifying, but it is also still TSMC. So like, and this is the same, I, should find, I do still continue to find this funny of like, it's the same companies they're still using, like Foxconn and Pegatron. Like these are the same companies that they use. I don't know if that diversifies them or not. Like I, I don't fully understand the corporate structure of some of these companies, right? And like how that could affect it. Where it's like, right. if they if Apple has an issue with China and the Chinese government potentially, is that going to make it complicated for the companies that they work with that have huge Chinese presences? That like even if they're working with them in India, could it still not cause a problem? Like one thing to do is to diversify yourself from a geographical perspective, but you also surely want to diversify yourself from a supplier perspective as well, which it seems like they're doing with Tata, which I believe is an, an Indian focused company. If I'm if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, yep. so like that is kind of what I would expect and hope to see them do more as like a further push and. I understand, you know, from reading our favorite book, how complicated this can be. And like Apple has to do the work, which I'm sure they're doing, of getting these manufacturing companies up to their standards and doing what it takes to get them to their standards, which is why they continue to use Foxconn and Pegatron, because they put all this work for many, many years to get them to the level of like, okay, this is what we're willing to accept. And which is different to maybe other companies and what they're willing to accept. So we'll see what it ends up being there. But uh, Mark Gurman also says, managers in Apple's operations department have instructed employees to focus on sourcing additional components and locating production lines outside of China for more new products coming in 2024. More new products, not necessarily the iPhone just, but other things. And, th mm -hmm. and that that is the basically challenging people to say when we roll out this product are we going to build this whole supply chain and manufacturing structure for this product inside china too could we not do that mm -hmm. right could we build this new product because then it's not taking that product out of china right it's not ever making that product in china which is part of the long-term strategy here right is is to do that so yeah, this is a and it's and it's a challenge because they don't want to give offense to China, but they do need to send the message that they can't be entirely um, reliant on China for their operations. And I think leaving aside, which is hard to do, the global sweep of geopolitics for a moment. I think it's also just smart on a larger level of not keeping all your eggs in one basket. Happy Easter to everybody, right? Just like. Maybe it's wise to not put every single, regardless of China's status politically, every single product that you make in a small section of a country, like when they had those shutdowns and they couldn't make Macs for a while. Like, that's probably not great, right? That's probably not what you should be doing. And they got so, it was such a great deal to build everything in China for Apple that they did it. And now this is the sort of latter day Tim Cook era of, okay, we need to back off of all of that strategy.
Mac Rumors is reporting that iOS 17 is going to see some, quote, major changes to Control Center. Don't really mention what these might be, but it comes from a source of theirs. And it did just make me sit and think, like, about Control Center as a thing and how it kind of, I don't know, feels a little bit old and weird to me now. And is also one yeah. of these things in iOS, kind of like Notification Center, really, all the centers, where they've ne- it never really feels like they have nailed what people are looking for out of right. this part of the operating system. So mm-hmm. like when I use Control Center now, I feel like overall this design feels tired. Like it still looks very like iOS 70 to me. Like these like mm-hmm. kind of like opaque buttons. Right. And I would love to see it kind of just generally get a fresh design with different kinds of information density. Like I've seen a lot of people uh, post concepts online like i was like googling around for concepts today to kind of just like what things might we might you want to see added to this and a lot of people like you know different toggles and switches and dials and like you know like maybe putting the volume as a horizontal rather than a vertical because it would take up less space and i just thought like, little things like that i thought were interesting but there were a couple of features that i thought for myself rather than just out of design that i would like to see um one of them is better access to home controls so like all of the home kit stuff because it feels like what well, it is ios is trying to guess what it thinks i want right which is fine i would like to have more of them there and i would like to be able to like pin some just be like i always want these controls to be there just show me these controls um and then i was thinking just like conceptually let's put some shortcut buttons in there <laughs> What about yeah. some widgets? You know, I could put lock screen widgets in control in Control Center too, and also could maybe finally like developers be able to put a button in there, something like that. Yeah, that that is. I mean, you mentioned home, and that's one of my great frustrations. Is like it just guesses what I want mm-hmm. in home, and like I can turn don't show this, and it will just it will, and then so I just turned off my lava lamp was um, in there. Yeah. And so now I I turned it off as show it in home view and it disappeared and it just replaces it with like another random light bulb that's somewhere else in the house. Yeah. And it's like, it's so frustrating because I'm playing the game of what switch do I flip deep down in the home app in order to get that one to, di- to disappear from control center. And the answer is, I guess, you know, show in home view is the answer because it will show me six of them. But then by doing that, you end up with like other ramifications. And now it's not going to show exactly. in a certain part of the home app, which isn't necessarily what you want, but exactly. you're just trying to hide it from control center. Right. So number one is I should be able to um, say what things show in control center and if they wanted to make that another switch in, in um, the home app, that's fine. But like, it's intuiting things from my home decisions that it should not. And it's frustrating. And I've had to do it both ways where I want to take things out of the home app but or out of Control Center. And then I, there are also things I want to put in Control Center. It's like, okay, well, how do I do that? It's uh, frustrating. And nothing like having to tap and swipe like eight times in order to get something off of your control center. And then it replaces it with something else that's worse. Like, okay, I don't want that either. Also, I have a very particular issue, which is like a weird one. Um, but most people won't have this situation. It's just I just do. In HomeKit, you can have multiple homes, which I always found. That, I remember finding this funny at the time when I got the studio because I have I have a, a home at the studio a home, right? and I have my home as a home, right? So I have home kit in both places. 
And it was funny to me at the time because when I was looking at Google and Amazon and HomeKit to like try and work it out, the only one that I could find that had robust support at that time for multiple homes was HomeKit. And there was something funny to me there of like, Apple's designed for multiple homes. We have multiple homes, you know? So we've got, you got like the beach home and the home home, and we've got to have a home kit set in both places. But I have my studio is a home, right, in, in home kit. And you have the ability to geofence them and for the home app to auto-switch. The home app works about 70% of the time to do the auto-switching. Control center is maybe 40 or 50% of the time. That like I'm mm. in my house and I pull down control center and it's showing me controls for my studio. And like that's not good, right? Like that's like another thing for me personally why the home controls annoy me in control center is I'm trying to get, and that's why I'd like to pin things because there are a couple of things that I access a lot. And like I actually, there's one, like I want to turn on my heat controls at the studio when I'm at home. Ah. Uh. So I've, set up a shortcut for this and I put it in the widget so I can do it. But what I would like to be able to do in Control Center is pin that scene for the studio's controls in Control Center so it doesn't matter where I am. Right. Let me turn the heat on and off, you know? So, like, I would like to be able to do more of that around home. I mean, honestly, Jason, for me, what I would like Control Center to do is have my music some quick toggles, and then just be the home app. Like, that is what I'm using it most for. Like, if I just had access to everything in the home uh, that's in the home app in Control Center, that would make me a happy man. Like, they're just basically the same thing because that's what I'm using it for. It's like media, volume, turning Wi-Fi on and off, and then just using the Control Center, uh, using the, the home kit part, like the home yeah. part. That would be great. I would love that. So, yes, I, I agree with you 100% on home. I love having home access in the control center, but I don't love that I have no control, ironically, over what goes in there and the context that it's in. I also say would, would like to say that they changed the behavior of lights that have a dimmable area that drives me crazy that they um it used to be that if you tapped on a dimmable light it would open up the dimmer and then you could swipe it up and down to make it brighter or dimmer now if you tap on the button it just turns it at 100% if it's off mm -hmm. you have to tap and hold wait for it to come up then slide it then tap away it's like that's not that's that's worse that's worse. I guess it's worse unless you're somebody who normally just flips it on and off, but sometimes wants to adjust adjust the dimming. That's not the case with me. If it's dimmable, I probably want to choose the brightness level. So that's not there. So I agree. The whole home thing needs to be fixed. It does feel kind of old. I love that it's customizable now, but it's customizable with such a limited set of yeah. things. And that's so when you mentioned shortcuts, I immediately thought, well, that's the beauty of something like shortcuts is that you, you can open the door to other things you want to do on your device that you can nest inside control center and make it switchable with, with one tap. I really like that. Also, I find it, you know, yeah, I, I think they need to refresh the language here. Um, in the home app, they've got this whole thing where they're the, the, the circles are inside the rectangles <laughs> and you can't tap on the rectangle. You have to tap on the circle inside the rectangle. That's the button. It's very confusing. So I hope they don't 
go there with that because that's that's awful. But it is when I look at the like the the big square with the four um, circles in it on my iPad now, right for airplane, cellular, uh, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth. I'm like, I don't know. Like, it, there's something about the circles inside the the squares. <laughs> It's like I don't know what we're doing here. It just feels and it old. does, yeah. Like it, it does. It it has remnants of a of a different era in it. I think like throughout, Control Center has had very similar kind of design language for quite a while. Right. It has no organizational principles either. Right. Yep. Like it 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 seems to me that it's just sort of like they're not like sections of it, other than the those big rectangles that have a bunch of buttons inside it. They're not sections in it. So you you end up with sort of like just a uh, icons all the way down. <laughs> I just found an image of uh, iOS seven control center. It's actually a j- the image that I found and pasted in the Discord was of a jailbreak tweak to emulate it. But nevertheless, and it's just a reminder. So this was when control center was you swiped up from the bottom, right? In mm-hmm. iOS seven times, but the the design is still incredibly similar. That it is like a translucent layer. And the buttons are circular, and then there are some buttons at the bottom that are round racks. And it's just like yeah. that is that it's been this way for a very, very long time now, kind of like fundamentally. Yeah, I, I mean, talking about home, the other thing is I have a home uh, rectangle next to all my home items, and if you tap that, it brings up kind of like a version of the home app, and that's got my favorites on it. But um, the favorites are not what appears in Control Center. So I don't understand that at all, right? Like my, to again, it's inconsistent and frustrating. It's also a little weird that I've got like the whole home app inside Control Center. Plus, I've got all these little tiles that I can't control. Like, it, it, there's just I, I appreciate that this is this is hard. Um, but I think what we're saying is when we hear there are going to be major changes to Control Center, I say yes, please. Mm-hmm. And mo- and after that, most of what I say is I would like to be able to customize this at a much higher level. Think about how you can customize widgets. I actually would like to be able to tap and hold in Control Center and then start deleting items and have a little plus where I could add items. And I definitely want to be able to add something like shortcuts so that I can, um, I can very quickly change what I'm doing uh, with more sophistication than is allowed by what's on control center right now. I think that that's all good. And, and we'll throw in, since we talked about it with the watch, how about uh, dynamic, uh, dynamic items in, in here too. Like I have a big uh, square that says not, not playing that's good. right now. Cause I need to have a big square that tells me I'm not currently playing any media on my iPad. And it's like, well, if I'm not playing media on my iPad, maybe I don't need the big square. Maybe it should get smaller. Maybe it should change based on context, but it doesn't. So yeah, I, I would I would use uh, I would love to see a new take on Control Center because I think Control Center as an as a concept is great, but um, right now it's limited to stock things from Apple and a bunch of home things that are a guess, and, and like it 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 could use some rethinking. We are eight weeks away today. From maybe finding out if iOS 17 will include so. something like a control center change. If you enjoy this show and want more of this show, 
Let me tell you about Upgrade Plus. If you go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year, you will get longer ad-free versions of this show each and every week. Did you even know there was more Upgrade available to you? All you have to do is go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up. You'll be helping support the show. You'll be getting longer shows. You won't hear ads anymore like this one. If you're if you're an Upgradian who's signed up to Upgrade Plus, you don't hear me saying this. It's just not there. It just goes straight into Ask Upgrade, and you just get your content faster, but then longer. You get more of it at the end of the show. Every single week, we produce additional content for uh, the Upgrade Plus members. They get to listen to me and just talk about extra things. I think today we're going to talk about some inside baseball things in the show, like how we've been playing around with webcams for video clips of the show. We have some follow-up on that. Um, and some issues that Jason's been dealing with the bot that we were using on Twitter to post uh, that oh, we were live. Nice. So Jason's had a little bit of... Uh, uh, time with that so we'll be talking about that in upgrade plus today go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up thank you if you do it is time for some new and improved ask upgrade the lasers have reached from inside of the show and into your podcast app we have brand new ask upgrade artwork courtesy of our designer jd davis so this was part of a i think we were talking about you mentioned to me there's a hashtag on the ask upgrade and i'm like oh yeah, yeah we don't call it that anymore and so we decided it was time for we originally like seeing if we could find the old artwork file which actually i didn't have this one but whatever but also that the artwork had like a tweet is the central part. So it's like, all right, it's time to rethink this. We have brand new Ask Upgrade artwork and it is now going to be a part of every episode. So you'll be able to see it there. It's beautiful. It's full of lasers, of course. Now, the actual first Ask Upgrade question of today's episode is going to come from Steve, who says, I just got an M1 MacBook Air and there are a few bits of software, mainly printer related, of course, that require Rosetta 2. Is there any downside to installing Rosetta on my new Mac? I'm wondering if I should maybe be looking for different Mac apps that work directly with Apple Silicon to replace this into era software instead. Look, um, there's no reason not to install Rosetta. It's funny that Apple makes you um, there's probably some very specific legal requirement why they yep. do that that way. But um, don't worry about it. Go ahead and install it. Get the compatibility you seek. Of course, you should see if there's any app that you're using that you rely on for lots of stuff and it's only available as an Intel version, you should probably look into whether they've got an Apple Silicon version. I'm not sure if there's an app that you use and you like and it hasn't been updated and it still works, uh, you know, Either they're going to need to update. I mean, it does say something, right? If it hasn't been updated, that maybe they're not going to update it. And if, at some point here, Apple will ship a version of Mac OS that doesn't have Rosetta 2 on it, right? Like that, that is going to happen eventually. That is their track record is eventually they'll ship an OS version and say, sorry, no Intel compatibility at all at this point. And you'll just have to deal with that. But in, I, I don't think that is a, I don't think you should worry about it. Like Rosetta is fine. If you've got a powerful piece of software that you use all the time, maybe you should get a native version of that. Maybe that maybe that's a good idea. But in general, Rosetta actually works great and is fine. And you're not going to really even notice for most things. So don't sweat it. Just install Rosetta and don't worry about it. Yeah, I had forgotten completely about Rosetta until I saw this question from Steve. Be just because like on the new Apple Silicon chips, Rosetta is unnoticeable, basically. 
So it's not an issue. Install yeah. it if you need it, especially for stuff like printer stuff. Eventually, as I said, you'll, you'll get around to it. But it is also worth checking because I've seen this where sometimes apps don't don't offer you the right version. Like, And there is actually sometimes on people's website, like, oh, if you download this version, it's actually the Apple Silicon version. I don't know why some developers do it this way, but just is the way it tends to be with weird stuff. Yeah, I have like nine processes currently running on my Mac that are Intel, and they're all like little helper apps and stuff that are not that important, but they're there. Activity, you go to Activity Monitor, and when you see all the process loads, kind, a, kind, how kind. Um, be kind rewind i'm oh boy i was gonna say i was 100 percent, but i'm not i have uh like 20 yeah i have uh, like the keyboard maestro stream deck plugin and the key km link are both this way i don't know why skype helper well, I, skype is not open on my computer and it's doing osa script that's uh hilarious that's uh apple script i've got keyboard maestro most of mine are wacom for my tablet uh, my drawing tablet. I've got like six of them here that are doing their thing. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff that I obviously, I have no idea what these things are. <laughs> They're just like, look, effectively codes for things that I don't understand. But there's quite a few things going on in there. Mm. Jeremy asks, do you think Apple's headset will allow hot swapping the external battery pack, which has been rumored, without losing power to the headset for long sessions it seems like a clunky user experience would be to have to turn off the device in the middle of a work meeting or a game switch the battery and wait for it to boot back up again maybe i was wondering if maybe it would have a very small internal battery to deal with this it's possible if it allows you to actually do it at all the, like the, uh, just the swapping because right. like there is the idea of the battery pack and we think it will probably allow for swapping but we don't know that it will do that no, or or you know, or they've got some sort of a what is it a, a transformer or a resistor or a, I forget what it's called, but the, the one of those things where it holds power for like a very small amount of time, mm -hmm. so that you could swap it in and out, and it would still hold the power and it would be okay. I don't know. I it's a good question. I, I it would sure be nice if you. I, I think the question is: Are people going to be chain batterying these things right where they're using it so long that they they have to just keep on swapping in new batteries or whether that's not a real uh uh common use case yeah. but that and that's the mystery of we it. just don't know uh frank wrote and says i hear more and more people talking about the vr goggles projecting a mac desktop in front of your eyes and how that could be useful but not everybody is a touch typist. How are we supposed to see what keys on a physical keyboard we would be pressing whilst wearing the goggles? Now, obviously, that's no problem for you, Jason, because you can you can type. I see you it can type away in my mind, mm -hmm. right? But I cannot do this, and I need to look at my keyboard. And so I will use my experiences of the MetaQuest products and their AR modes. So it's a couple of things that they do. So this is, I can say, like in uh, Meta's Horizon Workrooms thing, where you can designate an area of your desk to be shown to you through their pass-through. So this is where the AR comes to the fore. So you're in a VR environment, but you look down and you can actually see through the cameras on the front of the headset your actual desk in front of you. So that's one way to do it. They've also built the ability to recognize certain keyboards Apple's Magic Keyboard is one of them. 
So if you have a magic keyboard on your desk, if you look down, there is a virtual one like on your desk. And when you hold your hands over it, it just shows pass through of just your actual real fingers. It's super weird and cool. So you can actually type away. So I expect Apple will do things similar to this. At least I would hope. They're not going to expect us all to be typing on a virtual keyboard the whole time. That would be sad. Right. So there are ways to deal with it. It's mixed reality, right? So the idea that you could detect a keyboard probably just from the key layout, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is the thing. As you say, certain models. But like, ideally, it should be able to detect a keyboard and that's it and then and yeah. then it can pass that through or it can make a virtual version of the keyboard it could or it could show your hands or it can show virtual hands but it's matching your hands like there are lots of different ways to do this where you can you can um have a physical keyboard and have it be part of the environment along with your giant uh virtual uh display that's in front of you yeah like i don't use an apple magic keyboard but i've been able to trick the uh, Horizon work into thinking I'm using one. I could just put one of my keyboards in front of it, and most of the mm-hmm. time it's like, oh, I can see your keyboard, and it just shows me in the virtual environment a magic keyboard, but that works because I can still just type away. And is that the keyboard that you're using for input? No. I'm using one of my other ones, but it thinks... Oh, wait, when, when you say for input, what are you asking me? Exactly. I, well, I think the question is, if I if I have just a completely unplugged nothing keyboard and I start typing on it, does it know what keys I'm typing and types them in for me? Or am I typing on a keyboard that's connected to the computer that's being projected in front of me? I'm only using a keyboard when I'm using uh, like a virtual desktop inside of the space. So I haven't tried that the other way. I think right. it's just Probably like, not. yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, what if you had an unplugged keyboard and you're like, here's my keyboard. And it was like, great, I'll type for you. Yeah, I don't, I I don't know. know. I don't know if it does that. I don't know. I don't know if it does or, that. or the virtual thing, right? Which is like, I'm just at a table here, but I'm going to do a hand gesture and it's going to make a virtual keyboard come down in front of me, at which point I can type on the, on the table yeah. and it knows what the keys are that I'm pressing. That would be the other way you can do it. And Sava wrote in to say, recently you were discussing Tim Cook's legacy. And I think we were talking about it in the sense of the headset, right? Of like, could this be the thing where he's like, does this huge thing, it's like an iPhone-like thing, and that's his legacy. Why do you think AirPods are not discussed more as a game-changing product that were released under his leadership? They have pretty much single-handedly changed the headphone market with budget players getting into true wireless earphones as well. I don't know. It's an accessory. Um, it's a, that's why. It's, it's an accessory. And so people don't think of it the same way as they think of the platforms. It's absolutely a very successful product. It it wasn't the first at what it did, but it did it so well that it popularized the whole category, you know, and, that, and that's the truth of it. And it still does very, very well. I he, talk to some people who say it's not even the best deal. You should just get these others. But if you're on Apple platforms, it actually Apple's is awesome. the best at it right and and they but yet they've also transformed the market around it so yeah they're they're great and they will be on the list of his achievements i think the reason that they're not more widely um viewed that way is that they're an accessory that lives inside an ecosystem and part of the the secret of the product is the extra stuff they put in their platform to support it you know it's 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 complicated but it's definitely on his uh mm. it's going to be on his resume when well not a resume because that means he's looking for another job <laughs> on his carved into his statue on the campus uh, the yeah. apple campus or whatever when he uh, retires because i would say that like even for steve jobs people don't mention the ipod as much 
you know and like the ipod is a similar thing to airpods of like there was a market but apple came in and owned the market and everyone wanted that one thing like people tend to talk about the mac and the iphone maybe the ipad and then maybe the ipod and so like you know there might be a time when we're like oh under tim cook's leadership it was the apple watch the headset and airpods but they're not like the new computing platform, right? Like that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about these legacy, big, huge legacy items of like, oh, you change the way people use computers is is slightly different to you change the way that people listen to audio, which is yeah. like, look, AirPods are one of these things that when I first saw them, I just thought there's no way it could work. And so like, it really is like, if I'm thinking back to it now, it is the most potentially jobsy thing under Cook's leadership of like, there's no way that can work. People aren't going to understand it. People are going to think they're silly. It's not going to happen. And then in a few years, absolutely dominant. You know, like, I don't know what it is, but there's like people say you could break it out and it would be a Fortune 500 company of its own, like AirPods just on their own. I think, I think that's correct. It may even be more than that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a that it is a huge thing, but I just don't think people consider it as like a legacy product as such, right? Yeah, I, I think, and that it may not be fair, but that's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And hey, if the headset doesn't work out, maybe that's how we we'll think of them as the AirPods, the AirPods CEO, mm-hmm. which is no joke. Apple Watch and AirPods. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Upgrade. If you would like to send us your feedback, your follow-up, your Ask Upgrade questions, your Snell Talk questions, go to UpgradeFeedback.com and you can fill out our lovely form there. Until next week's episode, you can check out Jason's writing over at SixColors.com, hear his podcast at TheIncomparable.com, and here on Relay FM. I feel like I did a bad job there. TheIncomparable.com. I think Thank I you. forgot the dot. I think it's just The, the Incomparable. Incomparable. You can listen to my podcasts here on Relay FM. Check out my work as well over over at cortexbrand.com. We're both on Mastodon. You can find Jason as uh, at JasonL on Zeppelin.flights. You can find me on Mike.social as at iMike. And we have an account for the show on RelayFM.social. Is that it? RelayFM.social? Is that how, Relay is FM that how we do social. that? That's what it is. That's how we did it. Interesting. Well, no, there wasn't... We, I think this was all Stephen. Stephen I, don't, yeah. I don't really pay attention to the to that one so much. Maybe that makes me a bad co-founder. It's Upgrade at RelayFM.social. Check it out. We are at Upgrade on RelayFM.social. That's it. You nailed it. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. Thank you to ExpressVPN and Uni for their support of this week's episode. But most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.